broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing. Get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to RN Huddle. This is your host, Heidi Keeler, coming to you from the great state of Nebraska. And today's episode is a collaboration with the NPIAP. And we're going to bring to you another discussion about pressure injury, only this time we're going to talk about the spinal cord injury population. And we're going to talk about how important it is to manage this population given its special needs. And we're going to do this by bringing in a very special guest, Dr. Yi-Ting Jen of the NPIAP. She is a director and an expert who's currently practicing at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. To do this, our co-host, Renee Pollan, who is, of course, our all-things wounds nurse here at RN Huddle, is going to lead this conversation. So without further ado, Renee. This is Renee Pollan, and I'm honored to chat with another special guest from the NPIAP Education Committee and Board with us today, Dr. Yi Ting Jen. She is a physical therapist and expert specifically in addressing the needs for the spinal cord injury population. Her research in early detection of pressure injuries for those with a spinal cord injury has been crucial to better understand the importance of various prevention methods while considering and assessing skin blood flow. She has a wealth of knowledge to share with us. So let's jump in. Welcome to RN Huddle, Dr. E.T. Jen. Thank you so much for having me. So for our listeners, can you highlight your role as a physical therapist in pressure injury management? Because I know a lot of our listeners are nurses and we work with physical therapists quite often, but when caring for the spinal cord injuries, what is your role? Um, So I am a researcher and physical therapy is actually my background. So when I came to the United States uh, back in 2005 as a master's student and afterwards also a PhD student at University of Pittsburgh, um, I actually work with uh, physical therapists and engineers and uh, also a nurse together in pressure injury uh, prevention research, especially in the population with spinal cord injury. Fantastic. And how did your path go towards that population? So my advisor received a funding from the Nidler, and it's on Rehabilitation Engineering Research Center on Spinal Cord Injury. So one of the tasks that I was responsible for uh, was to come up with a intervention that could potentially prevent pressure injury from developing in this population. So because that uh, grant is focused on spinal cord injury, so that's how I get involved. Oh, fantastic. And our listeners are from a variety of settings and often care for this population. What are some common strategies that we can incorporate into our practices? I know you've you've got the researcher background, you're working with physical therapists, engineers, and nurses. I mean, how does that all come together in that collaboration? And how can we work with one another to incorporate that into our practice? Yeah, so I think the very first step is actually knowing that spinal cord injury population is uh, very unique. They are at a 
very high risk of mm. obtaining pressure injury. So when we look up, you know, all the, you know, Braden scale, other pressure injury risk assessment scales, you will see that it actually has like ceiling effect for this population, just because from the anatomy standpoint, having a spinal cord injury, you're injuring the motor function, mm -hmm. the sensation. Um, and there's one more thing that's very interesting about um, spinal cord injury is the impairment in autonomic function. So when we look at the changes in motor function, the sensation, that already makes them at extremely high risk in obtaining or developing a pressure injury. And uh, for the autonomic function, actually the incontinence and the impairment in bowel control is also under that category. And so all of these factors, you know, as yourself, as a uh, WLCN, you, mm -hmm. you know, they are- Not uh, a great at, combination. Yeah, making yeah. them very high at risk, absolutely. Yeah, and so when PTs, engineers, and nurses, and even the you know assistive technology specialists, everyone work together with this group. It's very important to to know kind of like the nature of spinal cord injury itself. So we we need to think about how to like you know fit them in a appropriate seating system. And I know a few episodes ago on the podcast, it talks about the wheelchair wound. And, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of the strategies shared during those two episodes could be incorporated specifically for this population. So ensuring the assistive technology specialist or the physical therapist or the occupational therapist who is specialized in fitting the patient in the wheelchair, you know, having them fit in a appropriate wheelchair, whether manual wheelchair or power wheelchair depends on their level of injury and their completeness of injury. It is the most important thing because they, they use that on the daily basis. And so not just the wheelchair itself, but also the cushion that they use, do they have enough of the pressure redistribution ability? And is that trapping like the humidity there? Is that heating up the skin? Those are all factors that could contribute to an increased risk. So that is something and that we need to care research, a lot about. Is that a challenge to, they can't feel, they can't feel that they need to reposition. So me sitting in this chair right now, I'm able to just shift my weight if I get uncomfortable. So you have to use when you're researching they need to be, you know, shifted more to the right side or, you know, due to the amount of pressure that you're, that they're obtaining due to the technology, correct? Is that how a lot of that is considered? Yes. So I believe a lot of the centers for assistive technology that I collaborate with, mm -hmm. they have, uh, they use the pressure mapping system. So to my understanding, mm -hmm. uh, based on my work with them, when a person who is, you know, recently injured, uh, get out of the rehab, when they're trying to fit them in the wheelchair, they will have them try different seat cushions and have like the pressure map on it. So that could kind of tell the therapist as well as the patient, which one actually looks better on the pressure distribution. Right. I always um, liked watching them do pressure mapping on my patients. I was just fascinated by that. 
um, it is. Support injury patients. So it's, it's, it's wonderful mm-hmm. that we have that technology that can do that. So honestly, I, I Googled your name before our talk and there was a large of, amount of research articles that popped up and I was fascinated by it. And um, there was one in particular that I was interested in, in the local cooling in reducing reactive hyperemia after ischemia. Can you kind of explain what that is to our listeners and the importance of that research? Uh, sure. So when, when I started working with this group of people, um, I was trying to see if there's anything else that we could actually, like, can we still reduce the pressure? It could never be pressure-free, unfortunately. Right. Um, so, you know, we can try to do like uh, those power chair function, like we can tilt them back, we can do recline, but it will never be pressure-free. So there was a hypothesis actually brought up uh, back in 1995 in animal study that they hope to address this issue. So they tried to reduce the temperature on the skin and see if there's any way they can preserve the skin a little bit. Uh, for a, a little longer. So the the main idea behind it is if we reduce the temperature of the skin and the underlying tissue, it slow down the tissue metabolism as a way to preserve it. So it is still, uh, you know, using up the nu- nutrition and and things oh. like that, but it's just slowing it down a little bit. And hopefully the person does not need to move every 15 minutes. We can lengthen it for probably twice or three times. So the person so does not need to do it. This is the of like much. the epidermis, dermis layers, not necessarily, we're yeah. not causing any vasoconstriction of blood vessels or anything like that. It's just what, what exactly was used to cool? Mm-hmm. So we use this uh, local cooling chip on this, uh, we put it on the, we actually do several study in the series. So the first one, we actually have the person lay on their stomach and then we use this indenter to press down the skin uh, using one single spot and mm-hmm. to simulate like, you know, a pressure that you have sitting on the cushion. So 60 oh, millimeter mercury. And at the same time, we also apply the local cooling on it using this cooling chip that could control the temperature to about 77 degrees Fahrenheit. And yeah, so it's not really that cold. And and also because it's a small area, all the participants in our study didn't really feel that much of a difference in terms of the skin temperature. So I cannot say that there's definitely no ischemia when there is a pressure on it. So depend on you know, individuals, capillary uh, response and things like that. So it might constrict the, the blood flow a little bit or reduce it a little bit, but it's like a competition between bringing down the blood flow and bringing down the metabolism. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. we can have more reduction in metabolism compared to uh, the decrease in the blood flow, uh, we can kind of win that race a little bit and preserve the tissue for a longer period of time. So we did it on uh, healthy participants first, and then we did it on spinal cord injury uh, mm-hmm. participants afterwards. And eventually the last study in the series is build a cooling cushion using a air bladder cushion. Mm-hmm. Um, so we put the cooling chips in there. And this time we not only have like, 
one chip, we have actually eight chips on each, uh, four chips on each side. So total of eight chips located at the e-skin. So, and then we pull the skin temperature down at those areas and see the response. And so one of the response that you just mentioned in your question, uh, the reactive hyperemia is the kind of like the outcome that we use to know how much we actually preserve the tissue. So because this is a very vulnerable population, we don't want to induce any uh, problem on them. So uh, what we did in the, the laboratory setting is we cool it down and we monitor the changes in the blood flow. So the reactive hyperemic response or the reactive hyperemia is a normal a physiological response that you will see in, you know, everywhere in, in the body. So when you press the skin down and, you know, release the, the finger, mm-hmm. you, you should be able to see, you know, a return in the blood flow. Right. Um, and that's, that's a, a normal response that we do every day, right? Uh, yeah. with, with our patients. And so we use that response to see how much of that increase after we relieve the pressure or after we have the person sit on the wheelchair to quantify how much of a ischemic severity mm-hmm. is during that sitting period of time. So if that response is huge, we know it's trying to kind of wash out or to fulfill the nutritional depth or things like that. And so if that response is decreased, we can kind of tell that the cooling of the skin kind of reduced that need a little bit. And so we tested on the same person. So with cooling and with no cooling and sit on the exact same cushion. So we only have the cooling on or off to see the difference. So uh, because, you know, every single one of the spinal cord injured individual is very different. Yeah. So mm-hmm having them as their own control uh, solve a lot of problem because we can not really, you know, get that many and to say, you know, this is a group we're going to do this. This is a group we're going to do that. So we have the same person serve there that as their own control. And we actually showed that the reactive hyperemic response mm-hmm. uh, reduced with this approach. So that was like the final step in, in that whole series of the, the cooling study and wow. using the skin blood flow to do that. Oh, wow. Okay. How, how long did that take to go through a series? Years? Uh, I, I believe so. Probably nine years. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Well, thank you for your research and, and your team efforts on that. That's amazing. And what's our future look like? What are some future research? What do you foresee that we will be doing that will impact the spinal cord population? Uh, or what yes. do you hope to see? <laughs> sure. Um, that, that's really like that question. Uh, so I actually, there, there are several studies that are, you know, shared recently, published recently. One, I, I would recommend if anyone is interested, could go ahead and read that review article uh, by Dr. Amit Geffen from University of Tel Aviv. He published a, a review article on the Wound Management and Prevention Journal it's have a, a good summary of the future should more toward like an individual base because recently we started to realize that when a person have a spinal cord injury, even with the very, very similar 
their uh, clinical manifestation, level of injury, the completeness of injury, some of them will develop a pressure injury, but some of them never. And we really do not know why some of them have it, why some of them do not. So in Dr. Geffen's study or summary, he suggested that there are a lot of individual changes um, that might play a role in why some people have it, why some people do not. Hmm. And attach that article to the RN Huddle site. Yes, yes, I will do that. And um, so, so what we have been doing in the in the clinic, we document the you know the the Asia scale, how's the, the level of injury. We document the completeness of injury. We know this person has you know this impaired motor function, impaired sensation, but like even the risk assessment scale that we use nowadays really cannot differentiate this group of people into you know who is going to have it or who is not going to have it to that level. So we, we kind of know everyone is at a high risk, but mm-hmm. we know, you know, smoking is not going to help them. We know having like, you know, metabolic disease are not going to help them with, with that at all. But uh, is there any way that we can go into a little bit more, more like deeper to see who, who might have it, who might not. And if we know that pathway, perhaps there's an intervention that we could provide that is beyond the current strategies that we use, the power wheelchair function, uh, the tilt and the recline, the cushions that we use, the lower loss mattress that we put them on when they sleep, and the pressure relieving strategies that we teach them. Is there anything else that we can still do to maybe change the game a little bit. So in his article, he actually shared uh, some of the studies that's done, I think prior to 2014, that focus on there are increase in the intramuscular fat at the seating area. So like the gluteus uh, maximum muscles, Mm -hmm. and they, they use like the imaging technique to see that there's an increase in the fat inside the muscle. And it was really not sure why whoever has a recurrent wound has that increase in the intramuscular fat. But if we know the answer, hopefully there is something that we can do, you know, as healthcare professions to help prevent or identify these people that are at extremely high risk of developing a a pressure injury or recurrent pressure injury in the first place. So, yeah, so in that review article, he summarized uh, some of the imaging findings that uh, look at the increase in the intramuscular fat. And a recent study from Dr. Keith Bogey from Cleveland Clinic and VA, they showed that the one with the recurrent pressure injury uh, in the spinal cord injury population, of course, they have not only that intramuscular adipose tissue, but also a higher biomarker. The biomarker that they indicated was called the adipocyte fatty acid binding protein, the FABP4, so that they can actually get it from the blood draw. So if taking a blood draw, we can know someone who is at an extremely high risk, this may change uh, how we 
treat or prevent the pressure injury in this special population. Oh, okay. We look forward to the future and being able to nail down exactly so we can address those needs head on. So that's fantastic. Can you, um, before we wind up today, is there any advice that you want our listeners to walk away with, with our majority of our audience nurses, any resources that you think would be helpful to them in their practice? Yes. So I know the Paralyzed Veterans of America, they have a guideline they made specifically for this population to manage a pressure injury. So I think if anyone, whoever was in, you know, treating this population, that is like a good resource that could be used to manage the uh, pressure injury or wound in general in this population. And of course, our clinical practice guideline from MPIAP is an awesome resource. I have to, prom- uh, it's definitely something that I would like to promote, but these two are, are the guidelines that will be uh, definitely beneficial for nurses who is going to see and treat people with spinal cord injury. Uh, Fantastic. We'll have to link those as well. So mm-hmm. listeners stay tuned to those and uh, ch- take a look at our website. We'll be sure to have those attached on the RN Huddle website. So this was a great discussion and thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today on RN Huddle. Thank you so much. And for those that may be interested, we can link those references, like I said, on RN Huddle to learn a little bit more about her research as well. This was all essential information, and we, um, once again, appreciate your time with us. Listeners, take a peek at the MPIAP website as it is loaded with information, and be sure to review the 2019 NPIAP Pressure Injury Prevention Guideline to stay up to date with current evidence for pressure injury prevention. Also, be sure to check out the other podcast with MPIAP experts on a variety of important topics with valuable resources to share. Thank you again, and stay tuned to RN Huddle. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Yi-Ting Jen, and thank you so much, Renee Paulin, for this wonderful discussion. There's been a lot of information talked about here, and to really help us out, we're going to put some of these resources into the show notes, so be sure to check it out. And be sure to also check out Dr. Yiting's research on spinal cord injury and some of the mechanisms of prevention and management that is included in those. So that's it for this episode of RN Huddle. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. Until next time. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.